0: Welcome to Fidelity Soundbites, our straight to the point monthly podcast on investing. I am James Abella, your host as the manager of the Australian Future Leaders Fund and also the manager of the Global Future Leaders Fund for Fidelity. Today's bonus episode, we are sharing with Sam Heathersay the resources specialist who sits in Australia. Welcome, Sam.
1: Thanks, James. Happy to be here.
0: Sam, the, the markets have been... You know, over a few cycles of the last couple of years, you know, had our free cycle, free money cycle, we've had our value rally, quality rally, and now it's really getting real. There is a reality sense in the marketplace. So, resources done really well in the last 12 months. Um, in fact, in the Australian market, in my universe, Australian X300, X50, it's now 30% of the index, which has only happened three times in 15 years. So, what do you make of that? What do you think is
1: underneath that? Yeah, well, I would add to all those cycles, James, you know, demand shocks from COVID, supply shocks from Russia, Ukraine structural themes emerging with the acceleration of EV adoption that's driven lithium to new heights. All of that packaged up into um, resources becoming a, a larger part of the index. But I think it probably comes down to the appeal of real assets. Um, yeah, we've had sure. financial assets, intangible assets, and and now we have real assets. Um, these have intrinsic value, whether they're inflation hedge or, or, or a part of the EV transition. And so, I think it's the appeal of the, of the commodities themselves and stock stocks as a you know leverage to those commodities that's that's made resources a larger part of the index last year. Yeah, it's definitely been huge
0: and I think it's definitely a reality check and that's why I think we are getting much more real and our uh, resources have done really well for that basis. Let's touch on one which has been, you know, glittering this month, um, March and April is gold. So it's finally been this um, haven that it has been for many decades and hundreds of years. And there's always been financial assets to supplement that safety, but now the world is getting much more focused. So let's talk on gold. What do you think about you know the gold environment and is that rally done? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, gold is now touching um, US $2,000 an ounce. It's a record we saw early last year but, and, and previously, but it's still a signal to the to, to the world that that you know gold certainly retains its value as a credible store of wealth, as you're right, it has throughout history. And I think it's also acting as an inflation hedge in this environment with persistent inflationary pressures. I'd add to that the, the safe haven appeal of, of gold when we're dealing with banking stress and macroeconomic uncertainty. And so, that's what's driven it to, to the the record highs that we've seen at the moment. It's already rallied 25% off its lows since November. That alone would suggest we're closer to the end of the trade than we are at the beginning, but we could see a move higher here if we increasingly we see the market pricing in monetary easing as opposed to tightening, and and gold's safe haven status could, could certainly add to its appeal if we suffer a hard landing or more banking stress, and gold's certainly done very well in previous recessions, outperforming five of the last seven. So I think we could certainly see a leg higher, but we're probably closer to the end of this trade. Yep.
0: Okay, great. And we recently wrote a joint paper together on decarbonization uh, focused around transition metals. So maybe you'd touch on, I guess, transition metals and what's your view on that? And also, that, that seems to be a structural trend. Is that, is that your view?
1: Yeah. Well, we in that note we dived into the role that minerals will play in the EV transition, and it's and it's fairly obvious. You know, six times more minerals in an EV than a combustion engine car, and we expect it to grow as a EVs as a proportion of new sales. And so there's clearly a demand profile that's more structural for minerals. But I think the point where we made in that in that um, note was very much that it's still subject to a cycle. That these structural themes doesn't mean that the minerals have the escape velocity to escape a, a typical mining cycle, and that's certainly what we've seen recently with, um, you know, lithium, even copper and, and nickel. So yeah, I think the, the the view is very much unchanged on the in terms of the structural theme and the structural outlook. But as always, we need to be mindful of where we are on the cycle to to understand where's the best opportunity to gain leverage to those those transition metals.
0: Yeah, now Pilbara's one was in my universe. has now graduated to the top fifty. Went from twenty cents to five dollars in thirty years. You don't see that very often. Um, lithium price, it yeah, went vertical. You touched on that as well. How about the other ones, such as nickel and copper? BHP's just made a bid for one of the big copper producers. There's lots of copper talk at the moment, saying they haven't. Had you know, big copper discoveries for many many decades. So, what's your view on the other other EV related ones, nickel and copper?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, lithium lithium's price rally has been quite remarkable, and and you're right. You know, it's seeing Pilbara um, rise to its heights has, has has been incredible in in the you know in the index. I think the. Copper and nickel are other key EV transition metals that we called out in that paper. And copper, of course, is you know used not just in the battery, but mainly in the the infrastructure to support EV transition um, as a great conductor of electricity. And it, but it also has many different markets and, and, and uses. And so I think it's being torn between dual roles. One, it's being part of the EV transition that we all know, and it's and it's got a structural bullish theme as a result. But it also it is in part of many industrial and processes in markets, yeah, like
0: electrification and things like that. That's yeah. right, grid,
1: grid building. So it means, as a result, that um, it becomes what what we would term "doctor copper." It becomes a, a weather vane for macro uncertainty, mm. and so it gets caught up in those dual roles. And that's where we see copper trading down to be weaker last year. That's why we saw BHP capitalising on that weakness by making a bid for Oz because they obviously saw the strategic value there. And you know, nickel has a similar um, dynamic. It's it's it has a, a long term structural theme on EVs being part of the part of the battery, but it also is mainly driven by industrial end uses that seem weaker right now, and that's why it's suffered some weakness as a result. Thirteen percent down the last three months. There creates opportunities in that weakness. So if you are a believer on the long term yeah, structural thesis as we are,
0: yeah. Very good, great. I um, mean, how about the more obscure sort of areas, and are not, not as obvious, so rare earths, graphite, and perhaps manganese? What, what's your view on on those?
1: Yeah, often neglected. These are the these are the um, obscure um, minerals and metals that uh, that we will be equally important to to drive the EV transition. You know graphite. It's it's used in the battery. It's the negative sign. Um, the you know the anode. Manganese is is much more on the the cathode side, the positive side. And rare earths, while they're not directly useful for the the EV battery as much as sells, they're ma- very important for the for the drive motors um, and also for wind turbines. So I would say for for all these obscure, um, more obscure or perhaps more neglected part of the parts of the EV transition metal bucket, we need to be mindful that they. They have their own unique supply-demand dynamics. Um, they shouldn't be neglected. They will not likely be a part of the EV transition. It just has to go up the learning curve to understand a bit more about what's going on in that unique asset, a uh, unique commodity from a supply-demand perspective. Yeah, certainly a happening space. There's a lot
0: going on. Another big thing, Sam, is m M&A. and as picked up hugely all around the world. You've got, your locally, you've had BHP, Osmin, You've got all these, all the stocks that I follow. A lot of them are gone into the top 50 because they've just grown from like five to 10 billion to now some of them over 20 billion. But you've got a lot of M&A around the world. Glencore, you know, all the big. Energy and resources stocks are also doing their own things in terms of delisting and ESG movements. So, what do you think it says and what do you observe? What are your key takeaways from all the M&A activity all around the world?
1: Yeah, it's been incredible to observe the the, the ramp up in M&A we've seen the last year in the resources space. You're right, Glencore Tech stands out as one of the major deals that we see um, in, the, in the resources space, um, the potential to build a, a $90 billion company. But closer to home, we've seen BHP and OZ um that's voted Newmont, uh, Newcrest, um Albemarle and and Liontown and at the smaller end of town Andrew Forrest's Wiliu and and Minkor. So that's a range of different commodities there that's that diversified copper, gold, lithium, nickel. And one interpretation of what that signals is that mining companies confronted with high cost and capex inflation and and find it just more appealing to buy than build. Um but I think that probably understates the, the, the other signal that, that's at play here, which is that they see longer-term strategic value. Yeah, it yeah goes so. between your cycles
0: and cycles within cycles. The strategic cycle um, is there and then the up and down supply, demand, commodity cycle actually provides opportunity to, to reconsider that long term
1: cycle. Yeah, exactly. They they see that they see the long term structural outlook that we see. They see the short term cyclical weakness and they see that as an opportunity. Mm. And so it was a bit of a wake up call, some of these deals coming through to equity markets that have perhaps followed the cyclical without appreciating as much the structural strategic view that some of these some of these corporates see.
0: Yeah. So, what does it mean for Australian investors? You, you know, your head and resources is, is a global marketplace. It's not localized, so it is global. Um, what do you think if you directed Australian investors towards a few things this in the next two or three years? Where would that? Where would you get them to focus?
1: Yeah. Well, I think we've we've touched on the role that, that real assets, the commodities, that, that resources play, and as a diversification. You know, as, as diversifying in your portfolio as an inflation hedge. We've touched on the role that metals will play in in the EV transition. I think what we, we haven't really touched on and, and probably something I'm going to be looking for more and more is the strategic value of those resources geopolitically, um, not just to defense, but more to secure the the, the raw, raw materials supply. that will be needed to, yeah. to, to fund the, to, and to fuel this transition. You know we've already seen the some of the statements of intent from the US with the Inflation Reduction Act and the EU with the Critical Raw materials Act. I think this is this is the, the first step towards um, you know growing uh, strategic importance of of some of these assets, and I think we'll start to appreciate that over the next few years. Mm,
0: okay, perfect. All right. any any final thoughts or any final comments just more broadly on on resources in the Australian market?
1: I think you know Australia is you know blessed with, with uh, abundant resources. Um, we are going to be critical to this this transition, and uh, and you're right they they form quite a large part of the, the index, and we have great exposure. So I think it's as much as there is geopolitical uncertainty um, uncertainty around the, the pace of the transition. I think that Australia is in a pretty good place yeah. um, to be able to to be able to ride those waves um, wherever they arrive. Beautiful.
0: Excellent. That's been interesting. Our resource is definitely like very, very topical right now. And I do think
1: Australia is a massive producer
0: and owner of assets that we are very rich and uh, lucky to have. Um, So, thank you, Sam, very much for your time. Um, That brings the end to our episode. So, thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed these episodes, please do subscribe to the Sounds Bites podcast series. Thank you very much. And we'll see you in the next one. Some important information on today's podcast. This podcast is issued by Full Responsible Entity Australia Limited, AFSL number 409340. This podcast is intended as general information only and has been prepared without taking into account any person's objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider the product disclosure statement and target market determinations for Fidelity Australia products at fidelity.com.au. Please click the link in the show's description to read the full disclaimer.